Hello and welcome to Power Pros Podcast, episode 155. I am your host, the Hoff, Chris Hoffman, and with me is my co-host and nemesis, Pete Mashad. Chips ahoy, Chris. Howdy, Pete. Of course, we are back once again to talk about what's going on in the world of Nintendo. So we have a bunch of game impressions to discuss, we have a little bit of news, and then we have this week's big topic, which is Nintendo's scariest characters. Ooh. Yes, very spooky. But yeah, we're finally getting caught up on some of the new releases, and so we have some new-ish titles to talk about that have come out in the last couple of weeks. And we're going to start by talking about a very spooky title, in fact, Luigi's Mansion for Nintendo 3DS. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, this is, of course, a port of the GameCube launch title. It put Luigi into a haunted mansion full of booze and other various ghosts. Uh, you mean like booze like milk? Uh, no, I mean booze as in the ghosts that first appeared in Super Mario Brothers 3. Ah, right. The ones that are kind of scared and cover their eyes if you look at them. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, the game is, you know, just like the original version of Luigi's Mansion, a combination of action, exploration, and puzzles with a fun, comically spooky theme and plenty of humor from Luigi getting himself creeped out. <laughs> The game is a little bit slow-paced and sort of on the short side, but still holds up really well and is still a lot of fun to play. Uh, Pete, did you play this by any chance? Well, on the original GameCube, yes. <laughs> Not on the 3DS. <laughs> yeah, I haven't really played it since it first came out on GameCube either, and it turns out I've kind of forgotten most of the game. Right. I mean, I, I thought I remembered some things, but it turned out everything I remembered was actually from Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon huh. from just a couple years ago. Yeah, I actually never picked up Dark Moon. Was that uh, worth playing? Oh, yeah, it was definitely a worthwhile sequel. So how do you feel those compare to each other? Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. It's really hard to say since uh, it's been a couple of years since I played that one either. But they're both good games, I'll tell you that much. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I am certainly enjoying playing this game again. And it's fun not just from catching the ghosts, but from figuring out how to catch them. You know, you have to make the ghosts expose their weak spots, then you suck them up with the Poltergust 3000. That's right. Yeah, the uh, vacuum cleaner, basically, that Luigi carries around on his back. And, you know, there are plenty of generic ghosts, but there are also these special ones throughout the mansion, and those are the ones that are especially fun to tackle. The environments are also very interactive. You know, when the GameCube came out, that was sort of a new thing to be able to have all these, you know, little elements in your environment that you could do things to. And so there's lots of things to suck up or otherwise manipulate with the Poltergust, including using elemental abilities to set things on fire and stuff like that. Hmm. Pretty cool. Of course, there is also the button that lets you just call out Mario's name since you're searching for Mario. That was always (laughs) a a fun part of the game, too. (laughs) Glad to see that's still in there. Yes, indeed it is. This game does have a few new features. It is in stereoscopic 3D, which I definitely appreciate. And also has a new two-player mode where a second player can join in as Gooigi. Hmm. Like a Luigi made out of slime or something like that. I didn't get to try that out, but uh, it certainly sounds bizarre and fun. Is that like a eulogy? No, it's more like a goology. Great goology, goology. No, never mind. (laughs) It also has some amiibo functionality. You can use the Luigi, Toad, Mario, and Boo amiibo for various effects. 
Most of them give assorted boosts to your health, mm -hmm. but the boo actually helps you locate the hidden boos that you need to find throughout the mansion. So that can kind of be helpful. Unfortunately, you have to scan the amiibo every time you play the game. So that's a little bit annoying. And I'm also a little bit bummed that there was no actual brand new amiibo featuring Luigi with his poltergust. That would have been cool. Hmm. So it's kind of like real life where you're searching for hidden boos. <laughs> uh, speak for yourself. <laughs> Anyway, it's really great to play this game again. If you haven't played it, or maybe you have and it just has been a long, long time because your GameCube is long gone or in mothballs or something, <laughs> this game is definitely worth checking out if you are still playing your 3DS. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I wouldn't necessarily say more than I expected, but it was very pleasant to be going into this haunted world once again. Yeah, I feel like it's been long enough that that game, in my mind, seems really fun, and I would like to go back and give it a shot. So, yeah, I don't know if I'll be picking up my 3DS again, but uh, if I do, that's definitely on my list. All right, sounds like a good plan to me. Meanwhile, over on the Nintendo Switch, I've been playing a little bit of The World Ends With You Final Remix. Ah, and what are you thinking of that? Well, there are some things I still really, really love about this game, you know, I thought the original on DS was great. It has this unique contemporary setting in pretty much modern-day Shibuya, Japan. It has a very innovative soundtrack, and it has unique gameplay that relies on a variety of taps and swipes for these various psychic abilities, like flames or telekinesis or lightning strikes that the main character can pull off. The story is really interesting. It has some very interesting and clever and surprising twists. And even though the protagonist, Niku, is a huge jerk hole, you really do get to like the characters over the course of the story. Hmm. Also, this version has improved HD graphics and a remix soundtrack. And so I was really looking forward to experiencing the game again for all of these reasons. But ultimately, I found that it really fell short because of the controls. Oh, that's not good. No, no, it's not. Now, the original game, one of the things that made it so brilliant was because it was really designed for the ground up for the DS. It combined, right. you know, control pad, D-pad controls and touchscreen controls, and it really played to that system's strengths. And this version does not play to the Switch's strengths at all. <laughs> Instead of adapting the game controls to the Switch's capabilities and letting the controls take advantage of everything the Switch has to offer, it acts like... I am playing this game on a touch-only mobile device. Uh -huh. You know, there was a port of this game on mobile a few years back, and I'm assuming they just basically ported it over from that and made it look and sound way better. <laughs> They're like, Octopath Traveler sold a bunch. Let's do this really quick. Well, it just kind of feels like, you know, they got it out but wanted to do it as, you know, quickly and cheaply as possible. And so there are two ways to play. You can play it on the TV, docked mode, and then you play one-handed, just using a single Joy-Con, oh. and you use an on-screen cursor for the tapping and the dragging, and I found it to be pretty darn clunky. Hmm. It's not especially intuitive or responsive, and my cursor was constantly going off-center, and I had to reset it all the time, which, on the bright side, at least can be done with a single press of the Y button. Still. Not super fun to do all the time. I've had that Right, experience. right. It is not ideal. The other way to play is playing undocked, and then you're just actually using the touchscreen, which is definitely more responsive, but still not nearly as good as the DS combo controls of the original. 
you can't move using the joysticks or the buttons in any way, so it really feels like a wasted opportunity to have this thing on Switch. Yeah, you'd almost think they'd be able to make like a hybrid where you like use your left thumb to control something while you right. touch. Right, exactly. Like, if there was a Joy-Con mode where I was holding the left Joy-Con and you know moving the character around with the stick, meanwhile using the pointer on the screen for other actions, you know that would have been much better. Hmm. It still probably wouldn't have been as good as the DS, but it would have been a lot better than what's on offer here. And, you know, the same with, you know, I could be holding the Switch in my left hand and using the thumbstick and then, you know, touching the touch screen. But, again, that's not on offer either. And just to be clear, there is no Pro Controller compatibility whatsoever. So, yeah, the controls really hold the game back. Hmm. That's too bad. Yeah, it, it definitely is. Uh, there is a co-op mode hmm. where you can use two Joy-Cons to play, and that seems like a great idea, but unfortunately I did not get a chance to test that mode out. So, you know, ultimately, I really was looking forward to this, I really wanted to replay this game, but I am not going to suffer through these controls to do it. My advice would be to find a copy of the DS version and play that instead. To be honest, I would have liked this way, way better if it had been a 3D remaster instead. Oh. Oh, well, I'm going to save myself uh, 50 bucks and not pick this one up. Yikes. Yeah, you can say that again. And it breaks my heart because I want this game to do well and get a sequel, but it ain't going to happen like this. <laughs> yeah, I think after hearing this, I probably won't look into it either. I, I actually never finished the first one. I remember playing it. I think I played it at Nintendo, but never actually bought it or owned it. And then, uh, you know, now I don't think there's any reason to pick the Switch version up either. Yeah, I mean, if it were me, I would just say go out, track down that original DS version and play it that way. That's the best way to experience this game. All right. Moving on then. Another game I tried out a little bit of on Switch was Dark Souls Remastered. Ah, yeah, I really wanted to play this one, but I didn't get a chance to. Uh, what are you thinking? Now, tell me, Pete, have you played Dark Souls at all? Only in passing. I've not, like, actually owned it, but I have played the game. And I've also played a little bit of Demon Souls. Okay. Well, this is my first experience with Dark Souls outside of playing just a little tiny bit of Dark Souls 2 at E3 several years ago where I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> but this is more or less my very first experience playing dark souls all right and let me tell you i do not get it i do not get the enthusiasm <laughs> for dark souls that's really funny i think you know some people might hear this and think i'm crazy but i just do not get it it is like the ultimate troll game like the game is freaking trolling me at every turn it's like i coded it for you just for you <laughs> yeah pretty much wow yeah, I think the uh, developers at From might be my new nemesis. <laughs> but, you know, I start out playing the game. I fight a few minor enemies. Okay, that's no problem. That's, you know, no big deal. Yep. And then, just a few rooms later, I get to this first big, ugly, boss-looking enemy. Yep. And I try to fight him, and I can barely scratch him. And my <laughs> attack movements are so slow, and my evasions are so slow. Mm -hmm. And if I get knocked down, there is a good chance that when I stand up, <laughs> I'm immediately taking another hit again, and there's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> I mean, and so I died. I mean, that sounds like Ghosts and Goblins back in the day, right? A little bit? <laughs> uh, not, if Ghosts and Goblins were like, you know, playing underwater in molasses, then wow. yes. Wow. <laughs> wow. So I died against this guy, and I died again, and I died again, and I was ready to give up on this game. <laughs> and so I passed the controller along to my friend, and I'm like, here, why don't you give it a shot? 
And then I saw when he was playing, I noticed that this door opened up in the boss's room and you're supposed to just run away. I'm just like, hey, run through that door. And so he just did that. The door closes behind him. You have to fight the boss. That was major troll moment number one. (laughs) Amazing. So I start playing. I get some better weapons. I get a shield. I explore a little bit. Uh, I got run over by a random boulder without any warning, which was kind of weird. Yeah, the game likes to, like, one-hit kill you. Yeah, I didn't get killed by the boulder. Yeah. I did just, you know, take some health off. But, All yeah, right. it was just very random out of nowhere. But, yeah, I was starting to get into it again. And then I wound up in another boss battle. And it's against the same bad guy. <laughs> only this time I was on this little balcony and he was in the courtyard below. Uh. And I see this guy down there. And he flies up and is kind of, you know, looking at me and I have a shield now. So I pull up my shield and I block and I'm ready for battle. And then he clubs me and he destroys the balcony and I die in one hit. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just dead. And that's major troll moment number two. Mm -hmm. So I keep retrying this battle and I cannot figure out how to get off the balcony without taking massive damage. Like, if I step off this balcony, I lose 30% of my health and maybe then get crushed by him. If I don't, then I lose 100% of my health when he smacks me. And if there is an alternative to this, a way down without losing about a third of my health, I did not find it. You know, after many, many tries and using a lot of health potions, my friend and I finally defeated the boss. Wow. But the whole fight, like I said, it just was, you know, very unpleasant. Everything felt very, very slow. And I certainly felt like I, you know, was totally doing the wrong thing. It made me feel like an idiot. I mean, I've played a lot of games. This made me feel like I've never played a video game before. How hard can it be to get off a ledge without dying? I would pay it's pretty hard. It I seems. would pay really good money for like a video camera to be on you while you were playing. <laughs> it probably would have been entertaining. <laughs> Like, maybe you should Twitch stream the next time you play that game, and I will sponsor you. Regardless, you know, we did beat the boss, we escaped the prison we were in, and this giant bird carried us to a new area. Mm. You know, we talked to some guy with a funny accent, and then we got stuck to a tree. Mm. We, like, did some sort of evasive roll, and we wound up stuck on the tree. And we tried and tried and tried to get unstuck from the tree, but nothing worked. Wow. We were just totally stuck to this tree, and we decided at that point that the game really, really hates us, and we hate it, (laughs) and we stopped playing. And that was troll moment number three. Three strikes, you are out. (laughs) So getting stuck to the tree was was basically a glitch, right? Yeah, that was a glitch. Okay. That was not supposed to happen, but that was where I decided to end my suffering. (laughs) Did you actually purchase this game, or were you playing it at a friend's house? I was playing it at my friend's house. It was his game. Yeah. And uh, no, I did not purchase it. I don't think I'm going to purchase it. Uh, I don't get the appeal. I think the game is for masochists, and uh, (laughs) I don't think I'm going to get over that hump that uh, gets me to this uh, point where it's like, oh, yes, Dark Souls, so amazing. You know, it's funny. I really want to get into it. I really do. Like, Well, a lot of people like it for whatever reason. I know, and I just feel like if I was, and I hate to say this, but if I was like, in school or something, I would have some time to do that. (laughs) And I just feel like at this point in my life, I just cannot afford to just play a game where I'm dying more (laughs) than I'm playing. You were dying a lot, and and some things just feel like, you know, they're broken. Like, it's like, this totally violates good game design. But yeah, people just really like to eat it up. I'm not one of those people. One of my biggest pet peeves in gaming is to play and then lose that progress. So like, If you spend an hour playing and then somehow something happens that takes that all away, Mm -hmm. that is maybe my most hated moment in video games. Uh And so anything like that, like Fire Emblem 
you know, the older Fire Emblems where, like, you would spend a long time playing a map and then one of your characters might die and you just do not mm-hmm. want to lose that character. Yeah, that, would, for me, is, like, you know, the worst thing to me. So I feel like this game <laughs> is kind of just reveling in that. Well, I will say that at least the save points were pretty close to the spots where I kept dying. All right. But uh, even so, I was not having a great time. <laughs> I've heard people very divisive on this game. I've heard both camps. You know, and it's funny because <laughs> I feel like somebody was saying... Yeah, they basically just, you know, the game doesn't control very well, doesn't handle very well, and they just explain (laughs) it away by upping the difficulty beyond belief, (laughs) which is kind of funny, but, you know, turned into a genre that people are into, so. Very strange. God bless them. Now, despite the fact that I did not enjoy this game, that did not stop me from picking up the Amiibo. Amiibo! (laughs) Um, Of course, you're going to always own that Amiibo. That's right. I got the Solaire of Astora Amiibo. Now, given that I don't really care for the game, I suppose it's unsurprising that it's not my favorite amiibo or anything. Mm-hmm. Aesthetically, it's a little bit unpleasing. The proportions are a little bit weird. Looks like some chunky dude with spindly <laughs> arms and legs put on this very basic suit of armor and is doing some stretching exercises. Maybe he's going to jump into the sky and fly off like Superman. I don't know. Maybe Nintendo had a surplus of Wii Fit amiibos. No, no, he's definitely... This guy has not been working out, I will tell you that much. He has not been playing Wii Fit. He's got quite the belly on him, I'll tell you that. He's been eating Little Caesars? I think so. All right. Um, But that said, it's actually really well made. It has tons of detail in the chain link armor, especially the way it wraps around his ankles, and there's some good shading on his dirty, tattered tunic. (laughs) Say that five times fast. Uh, There's no shading on the fur collar, which is kind of unfortunate, uh, but the cobblestone base is nice. In-game, it unlocks the Praise the Sun gesture. Unfortunately, I did not have the amiibo when I played the game, so I don't know how useful that is. But anyway, it's far from my favorite amiibo, but I do not regret getting it, and I feel like fans of the game will dig having this amiibo in their collection. Yeah, I mean, it's cool that that happened. (laughs) It's uh, interesting that it exists. Yeah, totally. It's like maybe North America's version of Box Boy? Well, it, it is actually out in Japan. Japan uh, gets it, too. All right. But, yeah, it's not too often you get Amiibo based on M-rated games. Maybe he'll be a rare one. Perhaps. I'd say one of my key motivations for picking up Dark Souls is the fact that it's only thirty nine ninety nine on the eShop. Ah, yes. Well, I guess that is one good thing about it. If you're going to get a game that is uh, frustrating and glitchy and difficult, at least you're not paying full price. <laughs> at least they don't troll you in the price department. I guess so. All right. Anyway, that's what I've been playing recently. Pete, have you been playing anything in the past week? Do you have an update for us on Starlink by any chance? Yeah, I've actually been playing quite a bit of Starlink. Okay, cool. I actually referred to it as Star Fox when I emailed you the other day. <laughs> that's true, which is appropriate since that's you know probably the main reason to keep playing it, the Star Fox tie-in. Yeah, I'm going to say the more that I've played it, the more that I realize that I definitely would not have ever played this game if it weren't for the Star Fox tie-in. Mm-hmm. But that also being said, that I feel like the Star Fox tie-in is totally worth it. Cool. You know, the game, it's really hard to decide between which parts are, like in your head, it's hard to determine which parts are Starlink, the game in itself, mm-hmm. and then which parts are Star Fox the side quests <laughs> because they kind of blur together and they, it actually does it really well. There's like a lot of, yeah, so that's a good thing. Yeah. There's a lot of little side quests you can get. There is a thing that you need to progress in the main quest before you can continue the star Fox quests. And I think maybe vice versa, but I, I'm, 
maybe getting that mixed up. But uh, mm. you will get to points in the game where you cannot continue until you continue with the main quest. But oh, I, I will say, having given the game a chance, that the main quest really does start to grow on you. The characters are very generic. Like I said, I don't know if I'd ever play this game if you know, it didn't have the Star Fox tie-in. But you do start to care. You do start to kind of wonder how the plot's going to go. You know, just in general, it's all based around space flying. Mm -hmm. There is no running around on a planet. You do fly around on a planet. And I've never played No Man's Sky, but I keep seeing that it's like totally referencing that because I guess the gameplay is very similar. You're basically in a ship and you can fly like right on the ground of the surface of this planet. Yeah, when I played at E3, you know, I would fly to the surface of the planet and then it almost felt like I was, you know, in a land vehicle or something. I was basically moving and shooting, I think even jumping, kind of like I was in just some, you know, traditional non-space shooter. Totally. So that's how the game controls pretty much work. You're, You're flying around like literally a foot off the planet's surface maybe even on the planet's surface, which I don't really know how they explain that. But in a weird way, it is almost like this platformer with a ship. And there are like parts of the level where you, you know, parts of the world where you'll encounter like a base and you have to like go up ramps and stuff to find secrets and all that. And it's weird because you can usually just fly if you really wanted to. Mm -hmm. So you could just like avoid the (laughs) <laughs> the jumping puzzle but you know there are parts where if you're like carrying something mm. you can't just fly so it does require your jumping prowess okay there is a pretty wide range of missions but there are a lot that kind of get repetitive a little bit here and there there's this kind of complex i don't know if anyone if anyone's played mass effect before you're basically trying to take back the solar system from this other race called legion okay And essentially, they have these different things. They have these Legion Primes, which are these like big walking spider kind of things. Oh, yeah. I think I fought one of those during E3. Yeah. And then they leave these harvesters where basically if you leave a planet kind of chilling, it will all of a sudden be overrun with all these primes and harvesters. And you have to kill them to basically take the power back from that planet. Uh-huh. So you can swing it towards the allies, um, or Starlink, you're called. So you can take control back of the planet for Starlink. Okay. All right. Does it control good? It does. I'm actually pretty pleased with the controls. It really does feel like it could just be a Star Fox game. Like if Nintendo had just been like, you know what? We want to make a Star Fox game just like this. I could almost see it, and and I wouldn't even be surprised if now Ubisoft got permission to make the next Star Fox game, if only because they treated their source material so well, mm-hmm. and they really, I feel like, my guess is they maybe ran out of time with developing the game, because there is some repetitive missions and that type of stuff, where I feel like if they just had more time, there'd be a little bit more diversity, but overall, it actually is really compelling. You know, you start to care about the characters. You want to see where everything's going. And you kind of, you know, you want to see the Star Fox mission through. And the other Star Fox compelling part that's in it that is pretty cool is you basically, at any point while you're flying around, you can call your squad mates. Oh, nice. It even comes complete with the Star Fox sound, like the doo-doo, doo-doo, doo, doo. <laughs> So basically, your wingmen come flying in. You'll hear from one of them, like uh, Peppy or uh, or Slippy or Falco. Yeah, but they actually say something. 
Yeah, they're like, we're right behind you, Fox. Oh, right. So they basically come flying in to save the day for about, um, I don't know, 30 seconds. Hmm. And then you have a cool down. You have to wait maybe like five to ten minutes before you can use that feature again. Okay. It is really helpful, though. Yeah, it's definitely cool that it's in there. The game actually gets really hard. I mean, I die a lot more than I ever thought I would in a game like that. Hmm. Like, I'm not even trying to get in like a really tough mission, but you just get into like a random encounter. You're flying through space doing like hyperspeed and all of a sudden bandits catch you and you're forced to fight like five or six rogue baddies. And all of a sudden, you know, before you know it, like you took a couple shots too many and you just end up dying. Yeah, the E3 demo was pretty tough, too. Yeah, it's weird. You also get these power-ups, so you really have to, like, kind of pace yourself. You have to buy enough equipment and get enough mods that you can actually max out your ship so that you can then get better and keep progressing. There are times, though, where I've definitely hit walls where I'm like, wow, I just keep dying doing this thing, so I better do something else to get better. But anyways, I'm finding it really compelling. I totally think it's worth a purchase if you like Star Fox and you're desperate to play some more Star Fox. This is about as good as it gets. And uh, you really start to forget where the line is of what is this other game versus what is Star Fox. And I can't really think of another instance where that's happened in gaming. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, that's definitely good to know. Glad it is still meeting or surpassing your expectations. But uh, just to be clear, uh, still no Uncle Grippy? (laughs) No sign of Uncle Grippy. Okay. Duly noted. (laughs) All right. Well, then. Moving along from new game releases, I want to actually talk about uh, impressions of some new books. Yes, books. <laughs> books. Check them out. But still Nintendo-related books. Yeah. Specifically, I purchased the new Super Mario Encyclopedia from Dark Horse that came out just a couple of days ago. Yeah, and how's that doing? Well, as you would expect, it is jam-packed with lots of info. More than 250 pages talking all about the Mario characters, levels, power-ups, enemies, obstacles, story info, trivia, you name it. Basically everything you'd want to know about the 17 mainline Super Mario games in the franchise's first 30 years of existence. Wow. From Super Mario Brothers up to Super Mario Maker. And it's even got blooper nannies in there for you. Wow. Just for me. (laughs) Yes, just for you. (laughs) Yeah, there's tons of art, tons of details, tons of screenshots, although many of them are like very, very small. They're like literally thumbnail-sized. And it's certainly much more enjoyable than the Japanese version I have since I can actually read all these details. So that's very nice. (laughs) Amazing. It also has a really cool intro by Takashi Tezuka with lots of interesting insight into the creation of the original Super Mario Brothers. And there's also special sections on spin-off games, sports games, and I think a complete listing of all of Mario's non-Super Mario Brothers appearances. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Now, one thing that's kind of odd is that they use the classic terminology for the older games. Mm. So, like, it mentions Princess Toadstool and Magic Mushrooms and whatnot instead of Princess Peach and Super Mushrooms. I mean, they even went with some of the original typos, like spelling Piranha Plant wrong. (laughs) I remember that. So I'm surprised they didn't try to go for a more unified approach to the universe. But I guess it's in keeping with some of their other recent releases, like, you know, for... NES Classic, they went with all the old names and stuff like that. They didn't try to rewrite history or anything. So maybe it's not that weird, all things considered. Well, it is funny. Like, you think about, like, a piranha plant and versus Petey Piranha. It's definitely not Petey Piranha. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's <laughs> not. But uh, just, you know, the original piranha plant was, you know, piranha was misspelled. They left out the H. Yeah. So yeah. for this, they left out the H. I remember seeing Who knows it. why. 
Also, apparently, they use some unofficial names and terminology from, like, fan wikis and stuff. No. Yeah. And it's like, how did that get through Nintendo approval? Because I know with NP, we never would have got away with that. <laughs> that would have, you know, gone through so many approvals and checks and double checks and triple checks that that never would have happened. So that's kind of unfortunate for sure. Maybe somebody just Googled it and then they found that wiki and were like, oh, yep, checks out. <laughs> maybe so, maybe so. <laughs> the other thing that's a little bit disappointing, but not surprising, because I knew this going in, is that it doesn't include Super Mario Odyssey. Hmm. This book came out nearly three years ago in Japan, and you know, then it was nice and timely. The newest thing was Super Mario Maker. But now this time has passed, and a major new game has come out, now that this book has hit the U.S., and it does feel a little dated because of that. Yeah, it feels like it would have been nice for them to try to add something about Odyssey. Yeah, but, you know, there is a completely separate Odyssey book that recently hit Japan, and I suspect it'll be coming out here eventually as well, so that's probably why it's not in there. Odyssey, UC. Yes, exactly. Anyway, you know, regardless of that, regardless of, you know, the misinformation and, you know, other little mistakes here and there, like 99% of what's in here seems pretty darn great. Uh, just be aware there are a few caveats. Chris, if I ever make a video game encyclopedia, you are definitely going to be on the staff. Okay, thank you kindly. <laughs> You've got it. Also, I read through the fourth volume of the Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess manga. Oh. Yeah, I've been keeping up with that, and unlike some of the earlier volumes, this one is actually very, very true to the game. You know, the first few volumes took a lot of liberties, they add a lot of things, but this one is shockingly authentic and true to the game. It tells the story of Link's adventures in Death Mountain and Zora's Domain, covering basically the second and third dungeons in the game. That leads up to his first face-to-face -face encounter with Zant. There are some new elements, like there's a new rival for Ilya's affections, but I'm actually surprised at how close this sticks to the source material. Uh, to be honest, there are a lot of things I expect to be really streamlined, and you know, some of it is, but not nearly to the extent that I expected. And that's not a complaint. It's actually a very good adaptation, and I like it a lot. It's also worth noting that when this series first was announced, all the sources I checked into said this was going to only be a four-volume series, but that is clearly not the case. We're barely, you know, halfway through the Twilight Princess story, so I kind of expect it to continue for a while after this, which is definitely good news if you are a Twilight Princess fan like I am. When was the last one that came out? I think the previous volume came out back in March, but this one isn't brand new. It actually hit back in September. Okay. But the next one isn't scheduled until July, so we've got quite a wait until then. Gotcha. I'm sure you'll keep us updated. <laughs> Seems likely. <laughs> anyway, we don't really have a lot of news for this episode of the show, but I did want to make mention of the fact that Trine 4, the Nightmare Prince, will be coming to Nintendo Switch next year in 2019. It's exciting. You ever played any of the Trine games? I've played them a little bit, but not a ton. But, you know, I have enjoyed what I played. This one is once again developed by Frozen Byte. It'll be published by a company called Modus. And they really haven't provided any details yet. But, you know, knowing what I know of the previous games and what I've played the previous games, you know, they were all these side view action adventure games with an emphasis on using varied skills of multiple playable characters, you know, almost like a modern day take on uh, the Lost Vikings formula. That's right. And, you know, like I said, I didn't play a ton, but I did enjoy what I played. And assuming it follows in that same pattern, I imagine this game will be pretty darn good, too. Yeah, and the other ones, I believe, have been multiplayer. So that seems like a good fit right at home on the Switch. Okay, yeah, I don't think I've ever played them in multiplayer mode. So that's definitely cool to know. 
I will certainly look forward to that if that's included in Trine 4. While we move along now and answer a few listener letters. This first letter comes from listener Jeffrey Skull, who writes, After listening to your Games of 88 podcast, it got me thinking about how interesting and varied Mario games were in the United States during the 1980s. First, he's saving Pauline from Donkey Kong in 81. (laughs) Then he's just doing his regular 9 to 5 plumbing gig with his bro in Mario Brothers in 83. 1985 shows Mario side-hustling as a construction worker with his famous nemesis Spike in Wrecking Crew, as well as battling King Koopa and saving Princess Toadstool in Super Mario Bros. Then in 88, Mario was force-feeding veggies to Wart to save a, spoiler alert, Dream World, and finally in 1989, he's saving Daisy from Tatanga in Super Mario Land. I think it's hard for people now to imagine Mario doing anything other than saving Peach from Bowser, but the 80s were a very different time, at least in the U.S., I have to admit, I miss the days where so many risks were taken. I'll take missteps like the 1988 sequels any day over how bland Nintendo franchises were going before the Switch came along. <laughs> yeah, it is funny to think about all the different things Mario did back then. I suppose it is, but, you know, it was a different world, a different time. Nintendo was sort of just getting started and being able to branch out into all these different possibilities that just hadn't been explored yet. And so, you know, I would have to kind of disagree with this. I mean, Mario might not be getting into as many new things as he used to, for sure. But, yeah, I mean, he's not only saving Peach from Bowser. He's also playing tennis and going kart racing and <laughs> going golfing and competing in the Olympics against Sonic the Hedgehog and punching Link in the face in Smash Brothers. So I would say he still has plenty of diversity. It's true. And he's throwing his hat at stuff now, too. <laughs> yes. So I'd say we're just sort of seeing a natural progression of video games maturing as a medium. You know, the possibilities were limitless before, and now a lot of them have been explored. But it's true, Mario is more predictable than he once was, and doing something off the beaten path is always appreciated. Mm-hmm. This next letter comes from Becky Jewelry Jelly Rudranath, and she writes, Can you list the music for Hassle the Hoff along with the intermission music <laughs> for each episode in the description? I've heard a few courtroom battle themes from the Ace Attorney series as well as the battle music from Final Fantasy 4 and 6, along with a few other tunes I don't recognize. <laughs> Funny. So to answer this one, Becky, you're actually right on the money. Uh, We have no plans to list the music used for that segment since we've sort of been recycling a small handful of themes over and over. But for the curious, yes, it is the Pursuit themes from Ace Attorney 1 through 4, as well as the battle theme from Final Fantasy 6 and the boss battle theme from Final Fantasy 4. Now you know, knowing is half the battle. (laughs) Any other ones that you're using in there? Uh, So far, it's just those. Okay. Not to say we might not add more in the future, but yeah, so far it's just been those six. All right, stay tuned. Uh, This last letter comes from listener TJ McCart, who writes, I just recently beat Twilight Princess HD and Breath of the Wild. I really like the latter, but struggled to keep up with the former. I asked myself after beating Twilight Princess, why did I just put myself through that? (laughs) Am I not really that big into the Zelda mythos or characters? This question made me realize I really only play the Zelda series for the Master Sword and Hylian Shield. I just love both of those so much and always feel a rush of accomplishment when I get them in any Zelda game. Do you guys have any quirky reasons that push you through a game or series? Thanks. (laughs) Well, you want to go with this one first, Chris? Well, first of all, I love Twilight Princess just as much as I love Breath of the Wild, so uh, you're kind of talking to the wrong guy here. But uh, to answer the question... I mean, not really. (laughs) I mean, if I like a series, I will force myself to play through pretty much every game, even if it isn't my favorite. 
So I try to get through every single Mega Man game. I try to get through every Zelda game. Although I have to admit, you know, I ended up not finishing a couple of the Battle Network games back when Mega Man was doing that. And I still haven't finished Triforce Heroes when it comes to Zelda. So I guess I had better get back to it if I want to be able to claim I have played 100% through every Zelda title. <laughs> Pete, do you ever force yourself to play through a game for a wacky reason? Nope. I only play the games that I want to play. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, that takes care of the letters for this episode, so I do believe it is time for us to take an intermission. Hey, not so fast there. Oh, are you uh, trying to hassle me again? <laughs> you got that right. It's officially time to hassle the Hoff. Okay, all right then. In that case, let's get this over with. All right, dear video game professor Hoffman, what is your favorite piece of video game memorabilia that you own? Hmm. Oh boy. Well, you know, I'd like to say this is a tough question, but I guess it's actually not. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a little awkward these days, considering, you know, all that's gone on with uh, Mega Man and its creators. But my favorite piece of memorabilia, I would say, would be the original sketch of uh, Mega Man I have from Kaiji and Afuna. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a, uh, a hand-drawn sketch of Mega Man that he made for me when I was at E3 one year. Wow. Yeah, and that's uh, definitely a cool thing. I keep it framed and uh, on my desk most of the time, and it's something I am certainly happy to have. Obviously, since then, he went on and made Mighty Number no. 9 and, uh, you know, stole everybody's <laughs> money and ruined everybody's dreams and crushed all our hopes. So it's a little awkward in that sense. <laughs> but uh, regardless, he got the series through many, many installments and uh, you know, provided a lot of entertainment for me. So I will still say that that is my uh, favorite piece of memorabilia that I have. He's like the real Dr. Light. Yes, if in the end, Dr. Light murdered Mega Man and betrayed us all. <laughs> and his creations are running amok. Pete, do you have a favorite piece of video game memorabilia? I actually do. I had to think about this, but it's, it's a pretty easy answer for me, too. And this is random. I have a pack of napkins like you'd find from a childhood birthday in the 80s. Mm -hmm. It's literally from 1988, and it's Super Mario Brothers themed birthday napkins, and they're sealed in package. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, let's hope that you never have a really big mess and uh, end up having to resort to those. <laughs> well, I just like them because it sort of quintessentially caps the height of the Nintendo craze in the late 80s. Mm -hmm. Just kind of random, but uh, I love owning them. All right. That and my Earthbound ruler. Okay, well, now that those facts have been revealed... I do believe it is time for us to take an intermission, and then we come back, we will discuss this week's big topic, which is Scariest Nintendo Characters.
All right, we are back, and we are ready to discuss this week's big topic, which is the scariest Nintendo characters. Mm-hmm. Halloween, of course, is right around the corner as we are recording this, so that is the reason for this week's big topic. Who are the scariest characters we have encountered in some of our favorite Nintendo games? Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's not really a topic that I feel like gets discussed all that much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've talked about, you know, scary and spooky games before, but not necessarily the characters themselves, and especially not the ones from Nintendo. No, because you don't really ever think about the scary characters. Nope, but they're definitely out there. <laughs> and Pete, this topic was actually your idea, so why don't you uh, kick us off and uh, discuss one of your favorite scariest characters? Well, Chris, I think I'm going to start with one of the scariest, at least in my opinion. Okay. And that would be SAX from Metroid Fusion. Ah, you know, that's a good one. I did think about Metroid a lot as we were considering ideas for this topic, but I didn't think about the SAX. But yeah, yeah, that's certainly a creepy character who uh, <laughs> really makes you uh, want to flee. Yeah, like he really get, kind of gives you the heebie-jeebies, and I couldn't really think of, of anything else like that in the Nintendo universe, really. Yeah, it just kind of, you know, stalks you, and you know that, you know, if it catches you, it'll destroy you pretty easily. So <laughs> yeah, that is an excellent pick for sure. Cool. Uh, but like I said, I was thinking about Metroid quite a bit, and there are other, you know, spooky, scary characters in there. And the one that came to mind most for me was the Crocomire from Super Metroid. Ah. And now please refresh my memory. What is the Crocomire? That's an enemy that you encounter in, I believe, Norfair. And when you fall into its room, it's like, you know, this big uh, monster with claws that's sort of like, you know, coming after you, trying to you know attack you and push you back. And you don't really have a whole lot of defense against it. In fact, there's really no way for you to kill the enemy in the traditional sense. What you have to do is you keep blasting it and you knock it back and you knock it back and you knock it back. And you never actually destroy it outright, but you do finally like push it off a ledge into this pit of acid <laughs> and then it dissolves in the acid. And so, you know, the boss is kind of creepy on its own. But the creepy part comes after that when the skeleton of the Krokemeyer then jumps out of the acid and attacks you. <laughs> Only it doesn't. Uh, it's actually dead and it just sort of, you know, ends up disintegrating into a pile of bones right there. But man, that is one freaky moment for sure. Yeah, that's right. That is pretty creepy. I totally remember that. Yeah, that part is pretty great. <laughs> and it's funny to think that it's like so tough that Samus can't even kill it. Yeah, yeah, there aren't too many enemies that you uh, can't destroy with your own firepower, for sure. Uh, But speaking of Metroid, you know, another enemy I would say is a scary character is the Metroid itself. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I mean, especially in the original Metroid, you know, when you're encountering him for the first time, you don't really know what to expect. And those things will just latch onto you and suck out, you know, so much of your health. And if you don't know what to do, they can, you know, kill you really easily. Or even if you do know what to do, <laughs> they can drain out a lot of life before you're able to, you know, bomb them away from you. So every time you're entering a room, it's like, oh my God, is it going to be a Metroid? What's it going to do? And you really, you know, you get on edge thinking about, you know, having to fight these things. And it can be pretty terrifying because they can just come up and uh, suck the life right out of you. Yeah, you're right. You know, I think in the first Metroid, I remember being pretty terrified of that, of the hallway where you first encounter a Metroid. Yeah, it was pretty spooky stuff. Uh, So moving along from there, uh, what else do you have? Well, to keep it one more time in the Metroid universe, Uh. I'm going to mention Mother Brain from the end of Super Metroid. (laughs) Okay. 
Well, she is certainly uh, big and intimidating, that's for sure. Mother Brain, up to that point, wasn't all that terrifying. I mean, yes, sure, it's like this brain in a jar, and Mm -hmm. I think Captain N kind of made the little, like, made it almost too funny. (laughs) (laughs) Did not help the scare value. No, it really ran with the mother aspect of Mother Brain. But when you encounter the final form of Mother Brain in Super Metroid, it is pretty terrifying. It's like a chicken with robotic legs with... (laughs) <laughs> a brain for a head shooting, you know, laser beams out of its eye. Huh, I never really thought of comparing it to a chicken. I just thought of it as more some, you know, mutant Godzilla-shaped, dinosaur-shaped monster, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, creepy, and, you know, it's like oozing goo and stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty gnarly. Yeah, for 16 bits, it definitely uh, used a lot of them for scaring you. <laughs> yes, very true. Well, moving away from Metroid and over to another one of my top Nintendo franchises, uh, how about some characters from the Legend of Zelda universe? Ah, there's a few, I think. Yeah, and the one that's certainly at the top of my list these days would be the Guardians from Breath of the Wild. Ah, yeah, you know, I didn't even think about that, but you're absolutely right. Those are terrifying. (laughs) They creep the heck out of me. I mean, they look like giant spiders, for one thing. (laughs) And, you know, just the sounds that go with them and the fact that Initially, they are so darn hard to defeat, and it's just like the most horrifying thing to encounter these things and hear them coming after you. And even if you're trying to run away, they'll pursue you for a really long time, and you think you're out of range, and then a laser blast comes and nearly kills you, or it does kill you. or Yeah, so, I mean, those things, those are nightmare fuel for sure. Yeah, you're right, especially in the early game. You don't want anything to do with those things. You just, <laughs> no, you see one, it's time to go the other way. And speaking of Guardians, there's another Zelda game that has characters called Guardians, the uh, Earth and Sky Guardians of the Silent Realm in Skyward Sword. And, you know, they aren't quite as intimidating visually as the Guardians in Breath of the Wild, but I do believe that they will, you know, kill you in one hit. So when those things are coming after you, you are definitely on the run. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm terrified these things are coming after me. Run quick, get to a safe point, uh, do something so these guys do not kill me off. So I would call them uh, quite scary as well. Oh yeah, I definitely remember them as well. Terrifying. Yeah, I'm trying to forget. <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody that stands out in my mind from the Zelda universe who doesn't even actually really attack you is the Happy Mask Shop guy. Oh, well, he is certainly creepy. Yeah, that's for sure. (laughs) Like he like still like I can just envision that creepy smile. Yeah, he's got a creepy smile. You don't ever really understand exactly what's going on with him. It seems like maybe he can teleport or something. (laughs) He's definitely a weird one. (laughs) And while we're on the subject of masks, you got to think Skull Kid is pretty creepy, too, right? Yes, yes, he is definitely on my list. I mean, all the Skull Kids, not just the Skull Kid in Majora's Mask. I mean, that one is certainly especially (laughs) creepy when he's wearing Majora's Mask. But the Skull Kids in Twilight Princess also that make this rattling noise as they're sort of chasing after you can also be, you know, really, really creepy. Yeah, I don't want anything to do with the Skull Kid. Yeah, I like to keep them far away. But again, you know, Majora's Mask was full of creepy stuff and we would be remiss not to mention the moon. <laughs> uh, you know what's funny? That's on my list, too. <laughs> yeah, well, it should be, because it's a big, giant, scary-ass moon with a scary-ass face on it. <laughs> I mean, what could really be scarier than that? Yeah, that's not something you want to look up into the sky and see. Definitely not at all. And it actually got a lot scarier with the 3D remake. I mean, you go back and you look at the original Majora's Mask, and, you know, it's uh, very friendly by comparison. <laughs> yeah, mainly just because the graphics couldn't make it any scarier. 
<laughs> perhaps so, perhaps so. But yeah, that is a very, very freaky looking moon, whether it's falling on you or not. I gotta say, one other character from the Zelda universe that I feel like you have to mention is Ganon. Ah, uh, yes, yeah. Now, a lot of characters that are supposed to be the bad guy in Nintendo games are not necessarily the scariest. Mm-hmm. But I feel like Ganon actually plays that role pretty well. Like, Bowser's not very terrifying. But I think, for my money, the original Legend of Zelda Ganon just terrified me. I, I, you know, and huh, Really? Well, just the idea. Because you keep hearing about this bad guy. You don't know mm. about him. And when you first encounter him, you can't even see him. Mm-hmm. That really kind of stayed with me. And I don't know why, but I definitely remember thinking, you know, Ganon's just got to be the scariest thing there is. Hmm. You know, I didn't really play the original Zelda that much when it first came out. So, you know, to me, that original Ganon just makes me want to eat pork roast. <laughs> grumble, grumble. But uh, <laughs> I will admit that, uh, you know, later on, like, you know, when he transforms in Ocarina of Time, especially the form that Ganon takes in Breath of the Wild, you know, can be, you know, quite terrifying. So I am definitely going to agree with you on this choice there. Cool. Anything else from the Zelda universe? Yeah, there are a couple. Oh, wow. The Redeads, for one thing, mm. especially, you know, their incarnation in Ocarina of Time. You know, they'll just kind of freeze you and stare at you and, <laughs> you know, kind of, yeah, yeah. They're, I mean, they're basically zombies in the Zelda universe, and they are freaky as heck. And there's like that inexplicable, ah! <laughs> Yeah, exactly. When you see them, I, don't, I never yeah. got that. Like, who's screaming? Is it Link? I'm thinking it's the Redead, but yeah, either way, it's certainly very, very freaky, and Definitely makes these characters worthy of being on the list. And then there are the wall masters ah, yes. or floor masters or whatever you call them. But, you know, the giant hands that will swoop down and get you. And especially in the 3D Zeldas where uh, you, know, you just see the shadow. Yeah. It's like, oh, crap, I got to get out of the way here. You know, those things are always horrifying. And I mean, just having a disembodied hand is pretty freaky. But the fact that it drags you back to like earlier in the level is, you know, pretty annoying too so they're very you know scary from that aspect as well uh yeah and if you think about just walking around in real life and seeing the silhouette of a hand (laughs) yeah meaning that one's above you um yeah that's nightmare fuel right there but i mean even the first legend of zelda in the first dungeon you know these hands just come out of the wall just sort of you know crawling and grabbing at you and it's like ah crap i need to get out of here yeah there is something very inherently creepy about that yeah uh, and then the last character I want to mention from the Zelda series is Chancellor Cole from Spirit Tracks. You know, he's the guy who just kind of seems like, you know, oh, I'm the good guy. I'm the chancellor at first. But uh, then you realize, huh, he has two hats on his head. Oh, what's under the hat? Horns. He has giant horns on his head that he's covering with two hats. Whoa, spoiler alert there, buddy. Which uh, is hilarious, but uh, very creepy at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, I actually haven't finished Spirit Tracks, so I didn't even know that. But yep, Spoiler alert, indeed. I think he plays his hand pretty early in the game, though, so you probably encountered that part by now, even if you don't remember it. He looks very sinister in hindsight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he's definitely not hiding his true intentions very well. <laughs> but, yeah, he does try to hide them a little bit. He, he hides the horns, at least. Maybe if I ever decide to shave off my beard, I'll go as Chancellor Cole for Halloween some year. <laughs> All right, I will look forward to that. <laughs> and then I've... Got one more from the Zelda universe oh. that I couldn't leave off this list. And to me, that's Queen Goma. Ah, okay. 
Is that the first boss you encounter in uh, Ocarina of Time? That's correct. Okay, yeah, so I remember that one. And there are many, many, you know, bosses in the Zelda universe, many in the 3D, but this was really the one that kind of, when I thought of this list, it's the one that stood out in my mind because, well, first off, you're young Link, and you walk into this creepy cave, and you know the boss is in there. But you can't find him, mm-hmm. right? And then you start looking around, and you happen to look up, and boom, he drops on you from the ceiling. Yep. I mean, it's essentially the same as like having like a scorpion land on you or something. <laughs> yep. Or a giant spider-type thing. Yeah, I mean, they're pretty creepily designed enemies to begin with. But uh, yeah, the way you go, and you sort of see it up there, and then it uh, comes down after you, yeah, that's certainly uh, going to freak people out, for sure. Yep. Anyway, I think that's it for Zelda. <laughs> okay. Well, I suppose then I should move along to another signature Nintendo series, and that would be the Mario universe. You know, the traditional boos are not really that scary. (laughs) You know, they're fairly friendly looking, not too bad. But I think I will have to give a shout out to King Boo as being, you know, one of the uh, scarier Nintendo characters out there. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, he's big, he's sinister. He looks like he could do a lot of damage. <laughs> you know, he's got some pretty sharp teeth. So, uh, yeah, King Boo, I will say, is uh, definitely on the scarier side. I mean, he is wearing a crown. Yes, he's got that, too. So it makes him a king. I only had one from the Mario universe, because I, I just don't think that many things are that scary. No, there really aren't, but there are a few. But for me, Fanto actually stood out in my mind. Ah, yes. I mean, the way that that thing pursues you relentlessly <laughs> after you grab the key in Super Mario Brothers 2. Yeah, yeah, I mean... You know, we've said the word nightmare fuel before, but that is definitely one of them. You will have dreams about being chased by Phantom after you play that game, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's just this face, and you have no idea why it's obsessed when you pick up the key, but it, sure enough, it is. And it, there's something creepy about, like, when, when you pick something up and having something just immediately coming after you. It's, uh, it's definitely terrifying. Yeah, for sure. That's a good pick. I do have a couple other picks from the Mario universe. Oh. Uh, one of those is Dry Bowser. Oh. You know, like you said before, Bowser himself, not all that scary. But when Bowser is suddenly a reanimated skeleton, mm, yeah. <laughs> At that point, he becomes a little creepy. Yeah, you're right. He is pretty terrifying looking in that form. I mean, it's sort of like the Crocomire I mentioned earlier, where, you know, it's a skeleton. You think he's dead. He comes back to life. Nope, it's a reanimated corpse, and it's coming to get you. So, <laughs> you know, that's never that fun. No, no, it's not. And then, I hate to say it, but Waluigi. <laughs> Just look at that guy. <laughs> wow. Look at the bags under his eyes. Look at that mustache. Wow. Yeah. He kind of scares me. <laughs> yeah, he creeps me out. It's true. If I was like walking home from work and I saw him behind me, I'd probably pick up my pace. Yeah, you wouldn't want to meet him in a dark alley. Mm, absolutely not. <laughs> look at that mustache. You know, give him props for having it in that shape, but yeah, it, it kind of weirds me out. <laughs> Another one that stood out to me was from the Star Fox series. Mm, okay. And that's... Uncle Grippy? Andros. <laughs> Not Uncle Grippy. Yeah, I, I just think Andros, this like giant floating head, is kind of creepy. Okay. Maybe not in the original Star Fox, because he really wasn't the face of Andros at all. Mm-hmm. But when he later appears in Star Fox 64, he is definitely a creepy floating head. Yep, big, scary, creepy gorilla guy. Yeah, what's not creepier than that? <laughs> Waluigi. (laughs) And then the last one, and I feel like this is more of an honorable mention than anything, because it kind of doesn't fit the bill quite, but I get to give mad shout out to Mr. Rossetti from the Animal Crossing series. (laughs) I see, I see. 
I did consider putting him on my list as well. You know, he really does kind of freak you out after like the fourth time you reset the game <laughs> and you start to really think, man, this guy's going to fly off the handle. <laughs> he's going to get into some uh, intense violence, huh? Yeah, or maybe he's going to delete my save file. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he certainly gets intimidating before too long. That's very true. But you wouldn't know anything about that, would you? I mean, what kind of animal deletes people's save data? <laughs> well, I have a thing or two I can say about that, for sure. A bearded one, I suppose. <laughs> hey, now. Yeah, that aside, I did not invite him into my village in uh, the latest uh, Animal Crossing game. He can stay far, far away, as far as I'm concerned. Wow. But uh, yeah, I think that takes care of it. I think uh, that wraps up our discussion on the scariest Nintendo characters. Wouldn't you say? I would. That was a fun one. All right. Glad you think so. And with that done, I guess it is time to wrap up this week's episode of the podcast. But... Not so fast there, big guy. Yes, I suppose before we go, we do have time for one more thing. And that is, of course, a dramatic reading. And this time, it is the eShop description of the Nintendo Switch game, Chicken Range. Playing Chicken Range is simple. Shoot as many chickens as you can before you get covered in eggs. Fun and quirky shoot-em-up game. The object of the game is to shoot the chickens using an array of different weaponry. From pistols to AK-47, RPGs to alien ray guns. Gameplay is set over a field twice as wide as the screen, so you must be constantly moving your aim side to side in order to reach the whole game field. To increase the difficulty, the chickens throw eggs at the screen to obscure the player's field of view. Once your screen is covered, game over. During each level, Ammo crates drop at varying intervals, which will refresh your ammo levels and shino. Carry up to three weapons with you. Only four are available in the earlier levels. The remaining weapons will unlock as you progress through the levels. The game contains 15 different levels. Each level introduces different baddie chickens with varying difficulties <laughs> to kill them due to enhanced protection gear. Chicken types include riot police chickens, tank chickens, ninja chickens, helicopter chickens, and many more. Well, that's a fun one. Uh, maybe. I feel like game descriptions these days get a little bit too into the weeds. <laughs> like, the ones you read from the 80s are all like, in a world. <laughs> and now it's like, the game contains 15 different levels. Well, I haven't played this game, but I have checked out a clip of it online and let me tell you i don't think there is much more to this game than that <laughs> they were digging pretty deep right there and yeah this game it does not look very good at all and it's also very disturbing i mean the fact that you are shooting chickens with ak-47s <laughs> is really really creeping me out i mean i've had dreams of shooting cuckoos with ak-47 mm-hmm, i see i see but not real chickens <laughs> no you wouldn't want that no yeah, this game uh, just came out in the eShop, and uh, I know you think I have an obsession with chicken games, so I decided, sure, why not? That can be this week's dramatic recap. <laughs> I mean, you do have an obsession. Can we just admit it? I think you have an obsession. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Whatever you say, chicken whiskers. I'm going to let that one slide. <laughs> 
Anyway, that does it for this week. As always, you can find us at powerpros.podbean.com, and you can follow us at PowerProsPod on both Facebook and Twitter. You can follow me, The Hoff, on Twitter at ChrisTheHoff, and you can find Pete at BurlyRedYeti. You can email us at powerprospod at gmail.com, and if you like the podcast, of course, it would be great if you told your friends about us. Thanks for listening, everybody. For myself, Pete Mashad, and Greg the Grim Reaper, we will see you next time. Bukak! 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 Bukak!